The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to Strange Familiars. Allison. Yes. Guess what this episode's titled? What? The Head on the Door. Oh, topical. Very topical. We had a little treat this weekend. We got to see The Cure. My sister was very kind and bought us tickets because my ability to use Ticketmaster is apparently... (laughs) So second time we saw them in, what, five years? Something like that? Six years? Seven years. Seven years. Wow, it's been that long. (laughs) Yeah, that was their last tour before Mm. American tour, I think. Well, they were very good. Three hours of teenage bliss. I didn't name the episode just for that, though. There is an actual head on the door in this episode. It just worked out that way. Yeah. Can can we do the clapping? (laughs) (laughs) There was a woman behind us who could not do the clapping. I don't know whether because she imbibed too much alcohol or just didn't have the rhythm right. And now I'm afraid if I try to do it, I'm going to do it wrong because that got in my head. She was so offbeat. But it was an excellent performance. So, Robert Smith and company, if you're listening, good job. <laughs> also, if you have any stories, give us a call. Come on Strange Familiars. We'd love to have you. Yeah, any one of you. Even like the members that have just joined within the last 20 years. Yeah, we don't know your names, but come on, <laughs> come on Strange Familiars. We've just offended you heartily. Especially like if Simon or Robert are listening. Yeah, they should come on the show. I would also like Simon to tell me if those were like some sort of goth Lululemon tights that he was wearing for 65-year-old men. I don't know what was going on there. Yeah. At one point, he put his foot up onto the uh, the monitor, and my sister leaned over. She goes, I guess now we'll get to see if they're tights or not, because he was like, <laughs> <laughs> couldn't figure it out for the life of me. But, you know, good on him. I missed that part. Yeah. I feel like maybe you look, you your gaze at the cure is not rooted in being a 14-year-old girl in the 80s. It is not, no. So it might be slightly different. I had a, you know, I'm, I'm not a religious person per se, mm-hmm. but when I was 13 or 14, I had as, as many Robert Smith posters on the wall and pictures clipped out of magazines as you currently have Mary statues. <laughs> That's impressive. That's an impressive amount. Favorite Cure album? Well, it's got to be Disintegration. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. But it's not my favorite Cure song. Is not on Disintegration. Caterpillar, right? That's my favorite pop Cure song. Oh, okay. <laughs> a forest? No, M. Which is on? Oh, 
think it's on, is it on Faith or 17 Seconds? I'm going to look it up. It's okay. I need to know now, but you can go, you can carry on. <laughs> or 17 Seconds. It's on 17 Seconds. It's on 17 Seconds. Good to know. Well, on tonight's show, we're going to be talking with Daryl, who's got a story of the haunted house and all this like poltergeist activity that was happening around his family home when he was younger. They had this a port, I guess, of cats and rabbits. Like, I think there was a storm coming, he said, and his mom put the cats in one room and the rabbits in another, and every time they would check on them, they would be switched. What? Yeah. Yeah, it's a really cool story. They had disembodied voices. Later in life, he was paced out of the woods by something that sure sounds like Bigfoot, but we're not going to go ahead and call it that because we're not sure. I feel like you just have... Yeah. Something that sounds people are saying <laughs> a Bigfoot like thing. Paced people are the woods. saying that even if it was a person, it was it was using very Bigfoot like behavior. Let's say that I've done that though. I've been plodding and slow and looked back. And... Mm-hmm. You often do the patty look back. Yeah. <laughs> Before we get to Daryl, I want to thank our patrons. Thank you, patrons. Thank you so much. Thank you for your support. You make strange familiars happen, and we couldn't do it without you. If you'd like to help us out, become a patron at Patreon. It's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. Patrons get commercial-free versions of the weekly shows, plus extra episodes every month. We try to do two. We'll give you one or two extra episodes of Strange Familiars every month. We will be dropping a patron episode immediately after this episode. So, patrons, you will get your second episode for June squeaking in right in the last minute there. Well, I mean, it's only 30 days. If we had 31. (laughs) (laughs) As I said last episode, we do have subscriptions set up on Apple Podcasts now. I'm not sure. It it looks like some people have signed up, but I can't see. Like, the reporting is screwy with Apple. I've got a tech support note in with them trying to figure out what's going on. If we get enough people signed up, I'll keep adding patron shows there. I've added well over a year's worth i'll keep adding you know maybe 10 every week until all of the patron shows are populated there as well and in all the episodes going forward i'll also put the commercial free versions up for subscribers on apple podcasts the one thing can't give you on apple podcasts is you know sometimes we give our patrons codes for discounts and sometimes links to videos and stuff that can't happen on apple podcasts but you do get the the extra shows there so, patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And they're all sequential and all together there, right? Yeah. And thanks, everyone, for helping us out. Now let's go ahead and hear Daryl's stories. We're talking with Daryl tonight. How are you doing, Daryl? I'm fine, thanks. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I'm excited to get your experiences down. Sounds like you have a variety of things. Yeah, I do. And, you know, I've been listening to your podcast for a little while now since I came across your two books, the two that you wrote with Josh Ketchkin, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Mm -hmm. And there are a couple of other similar podcasts I listen to. and, And, you know, there are people who have much more sort of mind-boggling and heroic, harrowing experiences. But the thing that I guess 
started to say unusual. I don't think that's the right word. But the thing I guess that's interesting about my circumstance is that it started very early and it's been more or less consistent over the years, regardless of where I've lived. And in fact, it's funny, all of this, the fact that I'm even talking to you stems back from the fact that in, I guess, what, 2018, my daughter was tasked with, of all things in elementary school, writing a report about Bigfoot, which huh? boggled my mind. Yeah, I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're actually going to give this sort of thing the time of day, and you know, without belittling it. Anyway, I got to talking to my daughter about some of the things that I've experienced over the years, and my wife and I together both as well. And she at one point made the comment that, uh, well, you've had a lot of, a lot more of this kind of thing happen to you than most people. Now, I don't think that's necessarily true, but it did make me realize that probably compared to a lot of people, there's been a long string of, of odd and unusual things over the years. Yeah. And I say this often, but it bears repeating. When I started the podcast, I, I think like most people was under the impression that you know, a multiple experiencer is a very rare thing. It rarely ever happens. Usually somebody just sees a UFO and that's it for the weird stuff in their life or they have one experience <laughs> with a ghost. It's a lot more common. I mean, doing this podcast just for people to have multiple things. I mean, I've had people to come on to just tell me about Bigfoot and in the middle of the conversation, they're talking about these ghosts they saw when they were out hunting, you know? It's right. amazing how how people have these, you know, multiple things. And I don't think it's as rare as uh, most people think, nor as rare as I thought, honestly, when I started the podcast. Yeah, and that was that was my perception as well up until, I don't know exactly when it was, but at some point in time in the last few years became clear to me that this is a lot more normal than it's recognized as, but I think we live in a very scientific materialist society, so I think it's just suppressed. Mm-hmm. You know, and people are reluctant to discuss it oh, yeah, because yeah. then they get made fun of, you know, it might affect their career, you know, so. Yeah. And, and I've noticed even the people who are sort of most resistant to talk about it, if you can get them talking for a while, they'll say, no, I never experienced <laughs> any of this stuff. It's all nonsense. And they'll be, but there was this one time. It seems like everyone really does have at least one story. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So this started when you were young. Yeah, my earliest memory, and I guess I would, I would have been about three or four for reasons that I, I have no idea why now. For some reason, my mom would, when I would take a nap, she would put me upstairs in the room that her and my father would sleep in. And, you know, as I'm laying on, on the bed, uh, you know, beginning to fall asleep, and when I say that, I should qualify. This was before I actually had started to fall asleep or become sleepy. So it wasn't some sort of, I, I, at least I don't think, I really don't think it was some sort of hypnagogic event because I was still wide awake. And I was wide awake enough that I was able to, at least as much as a three or four year old can, kind of give it a, a framework, mm-hmm. you know, some sort of understanding. So what would happen, and it happened, it happened almost every time I had to go up and take a nap to the point that, you know, it was something I grew uncomfortable with, and I didn't like going to take naps because what would happen is as I'm laying on the bed, relaxing, you know, going to fall asleep at some point in time, I would see this face on the back of my parents' door who closed the bedroom door. And, and it was not – it, it appeared as almost part of the door in, in that it was not 
three-dimensional. It didn't have depth. It didn't have, you know, relative to the door, there didn't seem to be any depth or space. With two-dimensional, it almost seemed to be, you know, on the door or part of the door, but this green space, kind of a, almost kind of a sickly green ochre sort of color. And it had darker, almost looked like impressions where the eyes and the nose and the mouth could be particularly the eyes. And, you know, I'm young, so I, you know, and I haven't really heard about these sorts of, I've heard about them at all, I would imagine. But there was something about it that just, you know, in a little kid's mind didn't, it just felt off. It made me uncomfortable. I didn't know why. I, I wasn't old enough to think ghost or paranormal or anything of that sort. But yeah, it made me uncomfortable. It was, it was, it was unsettling. And in fact, unsettling to the point that what I would do is I would close my eyes, maybe cover my head with a pillow or sheets or something like that to ignore it so that I could fall asleep and get the nap out of the way, get the heck out of the room and go back downstairs. So that was the very first thing. Those were the earliest memories of, of anything. But then it wasn't maybe a few years later, I was at least six or seven. I was in grade school when a lot of activity kicked off in the house. And it was mainly my mom, my older sister, myself, and my younger sister, because my dad was in the fire department. So he was gone, I guess it was four days a week. He was, he was not there most of the time. Yeah, and, and during the summer, we would be up late, school's out, and my mom would let us stay up late. And I remember one evening, my mom was leaning up against the stove, and this was a gas stove. And it, I don't remember there being any problems with the stove. And I say that because what happened was she's leaning in the stove and she had this very long, very thick kind of crystal gale, gale sort of hair. Very, you know, it was, it was down to her, her butt. And the stove turned on. My older sister noticed it almost instantly, fortunately. And mom, you know, the, the burner's on. And my mom moved away from it. And if it hadn't been for my older sister's good timing, I think my mom's hair would have gone up in flames. And she was leaning right up against the back of the stove. Wow. And... Uh, then there would be knockings. And at first it was just the windows downstairs. And there were times when I remember a couple instances as it turned out, my older sister had some friends who were knocking on the windows in her bedroom or the front of the house trying to get her attention. Mm -hmm. But there were times when it wasn't. And then what made it stranger was we started hearing knockings in the house and then also began to involve knockings on the window upstairs, which the way that house was designed, especially when the knockings were on the back window, nobody in their right mind would get up on the roof, especially on the back part of it, because it's almost impossible to walk across, walk across the back of the roof of that house without winding up on the ground because the angle was so extreme. Um, and that's, that's when my mom and my older sister, you know, kind of started to realize this isn't just prowlers or something, because that was the first response was we get these knockings on the window. And of course, you know, we would all get scared, you know, not knowing what's going on, but, you know, thinking there's somebody out there and we call the police. My mom would call the police and they would show up and no one was around. No one was seen in the neighborhood. They would, yeah, we'll, we'll go on patrol. We'll keep an eye. And, um, you know, but these things kept continuing. And as I said, you know, it escalated into elsewhere in the house and then windows upstairs. And so we knew that um, something was off. This is something odd was happening. And then it continued to escalate through my childhood with one really clear memory I have is 
again, it was summertime. We were up late, or it may, it may have just been a weekend night. We were up late. My dad was not home again. And my mom and my two sisters were baking cookies or something. They were baking something in the kitchen. And a storm was coming through, and we had rabbits, and we also had cats. So the rabbits were brought in because the hutch would not really keep them dry in a heavy storm. Mm-hmm. And I don't recall what the reasoning was behind it. For some reason, the cats were put in a room rather than just allowed to wander the house like they normally did. So the cats were in the in a bedroom downstairs, and the rabbits were put in the bathroom right next door to it. I mean, you know, it's a shared wall between that bedroom and the bathroom. And at some point in time, somebody went, I guess, to go to the bathroom and found that the cats were now in the bathroom and the rabbits were in the bedroom. And, you know, who did this? Who knows? You know, everyone's, you know, claiming innocence. You know, no one knows anything about it. And um, so, you know, and why they didn't just leave them in those rooms, I don't know. I, I guess my mom had, a, you know, some sort of reasoning for it. So everyone was put back in their proper place and a little while passes and somebody goes either to that bedroom or to the bathroom. My, you know, the details are aren't exactly clear at this point in time. And again, they've changed places. Wow. And this happened three or four times. And then finally, after three or four times of the animals being swapped out, my mom just said, to heck with it. Forget it. Just leave more of the Wow. Yeah. I mean, and, fairly harmless, but undeniable that something weird is going on, right? Like, it's not the kind of thing that's yeah. scary, but it's like, okay, right. something as weird is happening. Exactly. You know, at that point in time, and I would say probably most of the time, because things continued on and off. There would be times of greater activity, times of lesser activity. And there would even be times when it would almost seem to go dormant for a period of time. And there were, in addition to what happened to my mom's near miss with her hair on the stove, there were only two other incidents I can recall that show anything that that seems to demonstrate any kind of maliciousness or any kind of malign behavior. Everything else seemed to be almost more in, and this was kind of an interesting choice of words, I just popped to mind, I didn't consciously think of this, but to say it in this context that it had a prankster-like quality is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Because it did, it did have a prankster-like quality. Now, my older sister would probably disagree to some extent because she saw on a couple of different occasions, I never did, with the exception of the thing on the back of the door, I never actually had, I never witnessed anything visually. It was always auditory or things like what happened with the rabbits or what happened to my mom. But my older sister witnessed something coming down the stairs one night. She was walking to her bedroom back from the bathroom and happened to notice this, this entity on the stairway, which scared the living daylights out of her. And of course, she said she made a beeline for a bedroom and dove under the covers. Wow. Did she describe it? Yeah. And, you know, I wish I thought about this, knowing that we were going to talk. I thought, you know, I really need to get in touch with her and ask her some details. And then I forgot to. I I wish I had because I don't recall how she described it. I just know that she said it was um, it was illuminated. It was giving off light. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I mean, to me, I don't know how how, you know, you, you probably have other thoughts about it. To me, it's just interesting because. Well, that's just kind of odd. Mm-hmm. But it, beyond that, I wouldn't know what to make of that. Yeah. And, you know, what does that possibly imply? I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, hard um, to hard to call it a you know shadow or something when it's actually yeah. giving off light. You know. Yeah. And when I because light, you know, it wasn't something that was really bright. You know, that was lighting up the stairwell to any great degree. But as well as I can remember from the last time we talked about it, which was. A few years ago, the last time I was over at her house, 
Um, it was way out in the country, so I, I don't get out her way very often. But she had said that, you know, it was it was it, it did have a luminescent or a, lumin, a luminous quality about it without necessarily being something that was, you know, terribly bright. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And then she said she saw, and again, I wish I'd thought to call her because I don't remember the details, but I know that she said she saw a face above her bedroom door one night when she was lying in bed. She woke up for whatever reason and happened to notice this this face above her bedroom door. And um, I really regret not calling her because it's, it, I think it would be a lot more useful if I had specific details. But at any rate... Um, she had said that there was something very disturbing about the face that she saw. I mean, it really unnerved her. Hmm. So, different from the face that you saw, as far as you can remember? Yeah, it couldn't have been any more different. Hers was, looked, it was very clearly, as much as I remember, it was very clearly human or human-esque. You know, it had, you know, clearly defined facial features. Mm-hmm. and had clearly defined eyes. And, and one of the things I vaguely recall was something about the fact that it seemed to see her. Um, so, you know, and, and I think probably anyone would experience that as pretty dang unnerving. Sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's as much as I really recall. If I say any more, I, I, I would really be embellishing because that's as much as I can recall with any kind of clarity or reliability. Um, so, yeah. My, like I said, my older sister would, would disagree with the if, – if I was to say that there wasn't any sort of malicious, malicious or malign feeling about it, you know, yeah, she would, she would disagree pretty strongly with that. Yeah. But I just never – with the exception of that, that, that feeling of something about that face on the back of the door seeming unsettling, that's the best I can give it because, again, I was a little kid – so I didn't have a lot of language or conceptual, um, um, you know, conceptual things to use to put it in any kind of framework. But it, I know it unnerved me. It made me feel uncomfortable. This is all happening so, in the same house. Yeah, this is all in the same house. I, I lived there from the time I was brought home from the hospital until I moved out when I was nineteen, I believe. As much as you're comfortable, and you can be very general if you want. Where just where was this? Oh, I don't, I don't mind. So I grew up in the North Dallas area of, okay. of Dallas, Texas, and this was in a, a little suburb of Dallas called Farmer's Branch. Okay. And, and speaking to the, the more malicious-seeming aspects of it, the other two things, oh, of course, what was said about my mom, my sister's two experiences, and then I guess I actually would make it four things because the other one would be um, my younger sister was using the bathroom in – and this is the same bedroom, by the way, that the um, cats had been put in so many years before. And someone, I get probably what was happening was somebody was using the bathroom in the hall. Nobody wanted to go upstairs when that was the case. So they would go use the bathroom that was just, you know, steps away in that bedroom. Mm-hmm. And my dad was in the process of redoing the shower in that room because there was a crack in the and I think is what he called it, but that, you know, kind of the concrete base to the shower. And so water was leaking and, you know, it, you know, having things like the rug in the living room, which was on the other side of the wall from that, you know, you know, the carpet was showing up as wet. Yeah, it was something yeah. I dealt with. And so this house was built, I think in 59 or 60. And so it had one of those really great, um, 
walk-in showers that had the tile on the wall and a really, really heavy, thick glass shower door, you know, kind of the smoked glass. Mm-hmm. And so that door, that door had been taken off and was leaning up against the wall opposite from the toilet. And we're talking a distance from the toilet to that wall of maybe three or four feet at most. I mean, it was right there. And so she was in, in that bathroom and we were all home that day. And the next thing you know, she comes racing out of, out of that room, screaming, crying at the top of her lungs. And what had happened, and, and I, hadn't, I hadn't had to move that door on more than one occasion when helping my dad working on this. That door weighed a lot. And it was leaning up against the wall at probably about a, I don't know, about 25 degree angle or so. And it's not something that's going to move easily on its own. If you slip forward and your feet press against the bottom of it, it's not going to just move. It, mm-hmm. it had some serious weight to it. So it, would, it really took some effort to move it. <clears throat> so anyway, the shower door had fallen away from the wall and on her. And, you know, the, the door they used very heavy, very, you know, very thick glass. And so, of course, it hit her and broke. And um, uh, she wound up with this tremendous scar on her oh. left shoulder because that piece of glass hit her and really just tore her left shoulder open. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's one of those things that when it happened and for some time after, especially when, when my younger sister would talk about it, it was you really couldn't interpret it in terms of, or I would say it was very hard to talk about it in terms of being something that was neutral, let alone benign for crying out loud. I mean, nobody would describe it as that, but to even say it was neutral um, it's kind of hard to kind of hard to to understand it that way because yeah you know a door like that lands on you you're gonna get hurt there's just no two ways for sure you know. yeah as all this stuff is going on is your family speaking about it like you know hey something's going on we live in a haunted house anything like that or are you just sort of living and trying to ignore it the best you can you know that's a great question I'm glad you asked that because there's something the answer to that part of it is kind of telling now my dad. Um, Two things about my dad is, first of all, to answer directly to your, your speak directly to your question, he never acknowledged it. Now, I don't know if he was trying to tune it out or if he, he just was not experiencing any of it. But my dad, my dad, I do not ever remember him even acknowledging it once. Not even when, you know, my dad was from the fire department. And so, you know, they have to also have you know, they've got that paramedic side. Yeah, yeah. So even when he's dealing with my sister's shoulder, you know, you know, getting it, you know, trying to, you know, get the bleeding under control so that we can take her to the emergency room. He's, he's not never once did he talk about it at the time or later in, in, in any way that acknowledged that there was something unusual going on. Mm-hmm. Now, my mom, my mom and my sister and myself, it's a different animal because when things were going on, especially when my, my younger sister and I were in grade school, um, there, there came a point where, especially when you're talking about a woman who's home by herself with her three kids because her husband is in the fire department and is gone, you know, three or four days a week, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, finally she resorted to calling um, a Catholic priest from a church that was nearby that my parents would go to. And the interesting thing about that was that happened a few times. I don't recall exactly how many, at least two. I recall it happening more than once for sure, but beyond that, I can't say. 
But I, I do remember that what would happen is it was either one of two things would happen. Either the priest would come out and he'd walk around the house. And I remember he would, uh, he would put salt on the, um, the baseboards and the windowsills mm-hmm. and holy water. And it would either, he would leave and there would be no effect. In other words, things would just continue on as they had. Or I think on one occasion, it may have been more, so I, I can only say on one occasion that things seemed to escalate after he left. Huh. Wow. So, yeah. So make of that what you will, but I know that anytime you get any combination of the other four of us, you know, my mom, my sisters, and myself, um, and actually my uncle, my, my mom's brother, um, Actually, both of her siblings, now that I think about it, because they, they both would stay at the house from time to time. And they, you know, I don't recall what sorts of things they encountered, but they knew that there were unusual things going on in the house. So you ask any of, any of those people other than my dad, and, and you'll get an answer, yeah, something really weird going on in the house. Hmm. You know, don't is, haunting, whatever, you know, not sure what to call it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think anyone ever even actually used that word. I think everyone just always kind of referred to as the weird things that happened in that house. Interesting. Yeah. In fact, you know, when I would talk about it over the years, I never, I never used that word partly because the word is just so loaded. It really uh, is. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just always say the house was occupied. Yeah. It seemed like an appropriate description. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> there, this is all, you know, poltergeisty kind of stuff and, you know, kids of a certain age tend to, you know, who knows if they, they bring that energy or if that, you know, they allow that energy to focus or whatever, but that's where right. my head goes. It's like a lot of like sort of a poltergeisty kind of activity. Yes, absolutely. I think that's a, I think that's a good way of, of describing it. The only other thing that ever happened that had any sort of malign quality to it, where it seemed like, and again, there actually, there is a very prankster like element to it. But because of the fact that it scared my sister and her friend so badly, in fact, it scared my sister's friend to the point that she wouldn't come over to the house anymore for that. Or at least, you know, if it was just the two of them. But if she didn't come around much after that, if she did, it was one of those things that she might come by for a little while during daylight hours. But uh, everyone was gone elsewhere, and the two of them were at the house. And it was a fairly decent-sized house. I mean, it wasn't an excessively large house, but it was a five-bedroom house living room, den, kitchen, garage, three bathrooms. You know, I had a good amount of space, and they were playing hide-and-seek in the house, the two of them, and my sister's looking for, you know, it's her turn to find, and she's trying to find her friend, Nikki. She's, you know, making her way through the house and finally winds up in the, uh, and I never thought about this before, you know, my experiences as a little kid and then now this in the same bedroom, but she winds up in my parents' bedroom upstairs, and she calling out for her friend and he hears something from under the bed. Okay, Nikki, I know you're there. I found you. Come on out. Nothing. Nikki, come on. I've heard you. I know you're there. Stop. Just come on out. You're done. Nothing. Hear some noises under the bed. Third time lets her know, Nikki, you're starting to scare me. This is, is, you know, really making me uncomfortable. Will you please just come out? And then at that point, she hears what she described as a sinister laugh. From under the bed, yeah. And I can kind of get goosebumps just even talking about it. So at that point in time, she said, I, I don't know if she said anything to what she thought may or may have been, and probably at that time had realized was not her friend. I don't know 
I can't remember if she said anything about how she responded, if she responded. All I recall is that she said at that point, she made a beeline downstairs, stood in the living room, which is more or less the center of the house, yelling at the top of her lungs, Nikki, come out. I'm scared. There's something weird going on. We need to get out of here. Wow. Um, and Nikki comes from the laundry room, which is my parents' bedroom is on the, what that would be the east end of the house. The laundry room is on the west end of the house. And there's not a way to get from one to the other. So even if it had been Nikki and someone saying, well, you know, surely she was playing a prank, prank, there was no way for her to get from there to the laundry room without my, my sister right. seeing her. It's just not possible. <laughs> yeah, so Nikki comes wandering out from the laundry room and my sister tells her what's going on and they both go over and stay at her house. And it's funny how I found out about it because I came home sometime later and I was the only one home at the point at that point in time. And the phone rings and it's my sister. And, okay, so someone's home. Yeah, it's kind of a strange greeting, but all right. Well, something really weird happened when Nikki and I were there alone and I wasn't going to come back to the house until someone else was there. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So she comes home and, and proceeds to tell me about it. And, you know, I kind of thought this would happen because I was trying to make a, a list of things from over the years. And I, I did, even though I don't have it in front of me right now, but I'm remembering something from when we were both in high school. We were up late one summer night and I was talking with a, my girlfriend at the time. And I can't believe I'd forgotten about this. I was telling my younger sister and my girlfriend about what I just told you about the face on the back of the door. And my sister told me that when she was little, she used to see the same thing. And the reason I remembered that was because my, even though we're in high school, my girlfriend had her own apartment of all things. And my parents were asleep. My older sister had already moved out. So it was just the three of us downstairs late at night. It really creeped us out. And we decided to leave the house. Like, you know, my girlfriend, Donna, you know, can, we, can we go to your apartment? Can we go somewhere else? You know, because it really spooked all three of us. Yeah. And we had the same kind of reaction that she had when, when uh, she heard the last one underneath the bed. Because we had never, we, for whatever reason, my younger sister and I had never discussed that up until that, that point in time, which, you know, this would have been, I guess, about 1987. But I'm just remembering that now, that we both had seen that same green face. But yeah, so those were the more unnerving, unsettling things. Everything else was knocks on the windows, knocks on the wall, the thing with the rabbits. I feel like there's something else I'm forgetting. Maybe it'll come to me later. But the one, the other thing I can recall was that from time to time, and this speaks more to the prank, prankster aspect of it, was that you would hear somebody call your voice, your, call your name. And it would always be the voice of somebody in the house, usually a family member. But for instance, I know one time I had a friend of mine over, a good friend of mine during my high school years, and I heard him call my name. And... I knew he was in my bedroom and I was in the kitchen getting something. I'm calling back to my bedroom. Like, What's going on? You, you called. No, I didn't say anything. It had happened before. So I knew that it wasn't him playing a prank. You know, yeah. I'd experienced it. My younger sister had experienced it. My mom had experienced it. Interestingly enough, if, if my dad experienced it, he never said a word about it. I don't know that he did though. I almost sometimes got the sense that somehow he was immune to what was going on in the house. Cause I do recall one time being upstairs, taking a shower and hearing my dad call me, clear as a clear day, could hear it quite clearly. And so I stepped out of the shower into the top of the stairs, called down to my dad. Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. 
Well, yeah, I just heard you call me. No, I didn't call you. And my dad had a good sense of humor. He had an excellent sense of humor, and he liked to, to joke. But my dad despised pranks. Pranks to him were really, all, I think, more kind of considered at, at best unkind, at worst cruel. And so he just did not engage in pranks, never once. My dad never pranked. I think that's one thing I can say about the man with, with certainty. And so that happened several times. And finally, after hearing him call me several times, like, you know what, this is kind of unnerving. I'm just going to go <laughs> water dry off and go downstairs. And it was, and I remember at, yeah, at the time and, and when this came up over the years thinking, it was kind of curious that it was my dad's voice, but my dad seemed to either be left out, immune to it. Somehow he was not involved, mm-hmm. I, I guess, or either he just didn't acknowledge it. I, I don't know what, what the case actually is. My hunch is that it, he was just left out of it. He, he was never targeted, singled out, whatever word you want to use. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm wondering if, I mean, you know, part of me as a dad is myself, I'm thinking like maybe he was just, I don't want to scare my kids, so I'm just going to ignore it. You know, you know, that's a good point that, you know, and, and you might be right. That's just, you know, having a daughter myself, I, yeah, very much this take the same attitude. You know, mm-hmm. in fact, we can get to this here in a minute. We just recently, just up, I guess it was like two weeks ago, we went through a period of some some strangeness in this house, which I think was absolutely classic poltergeist type stuff. Interesting. And I was very I was very careful. My wife and I both were very careful about what we said to our daughter mm-hmm. because we wanted to make sure that we didn't unsettle her, or that we didn't scare the you know really just scare the crap. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, exactly. things that happened most of it seemed to my daughter seemed to witness the greater percentage of it like 75 80 percent but my wife and I both had our own experiences and what happened with my wife was during all of that what I happened with me preceded everything kind of going crazy there for a few weeks well I know it's out of order but we might as well talk about it okay yeah sure yeah. well let, let me say this just so that I don't forget to put a cap on the whole thing mm-hmm. with regards to the house I grew up in and then I'll I'll go to recent events here. Yeah, yeah. It, it was around, It was about the last year I lived in that house. You know, I moved out within eight months or so, maybe a year at the most of the time of this event. Mm-hmm. But I was up late one night, and again that same bedroom that had the bathroom where my sister had the shower door fall on her, which everyone always commented on the fact that there was a weird vibe in that room, and it may have just been a weird quirk of the way the house heated up and cooled down and where the sun shone throughout the day. But that, that room was always a few degrees colder than the rest of the house all year round. So anyway, I guess, you know, it's after midnight at some point and I was up late and I had gone to the bathroom and I was walking out of the bathroom back into my bedroom. And I hear from behind me about, well, it was almost at the ceiling average ceiling height and I'm, I'm six feet high or six feet tall and very clearly, but in a whispered voice behind me, I hear Daryl mm-hmm. and I laugh because it only happened once. And there was a split second where I saw that there was 
I had a choice in my reaction. I could either be afraid or I could choose something else. And I'd finally had enough and I just responded with anger. And I said, leave me the alone. <laughs> pretty, pretty loudly and aggressively. And I, you know, I actually thought that I might, I might've woken my mom up with a light sleeper who was upstairs above me, you know, but I said it loud enough, you know, cause I really was, I was pissed. You know, we've had years of this on and off and just enough's enough. And not a thing ever happened to me in that house again. My parents lived in that house until sometime in the mid nineties and things would happen on and off even after all of the kids had moved out. But I never encountered or never experienced anything on going on huh. again. Interesting. That, that was my final odd experience in that house. Yeah. You know, I don't know if it's poltergeist or if it is a poltergeist, does that mean that it doesn't have a separate independent intelligence? I, I don't know. But right. if it did, yeah. you know, I wonder if I kind of got through to it. It's like, well, this guy's really not a good target anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's... I've said it again. This is something I've said several times on the show. I'll often get people that contact me and say, you know, oh, do you have any advice or can you help me? We have something in the house that's scaring my daughter, scaring my kid, whatever it is. And uh, I forget who first told me this, but, you know, several people have sort of acknowledged that this can work, including Brother Richard and, and others. The first thing to try is just to firmly ask it to stop. I think I think you were a little firmer than I would advise people to be, but... But to just to say, hey, look, you're scaring me. You're scaring my kids. We don't like it. We don't want it. Please stop. The success rate of that is pretty darn good. I've had a lot of people come back and say, like, hey, it worked. I'm like, yeah, I don't know why or how. So maybe there's an element of that with, with what you did as well, where it's just like, okay, hands off this guy. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Well, um, it doesn't always so work. Some, sometimes I'll hear back from people and they're like, nah, it didn't work. But a good few times it has worked. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, if it was something that was 100% reliable, I think word would get around and right, you know, people yeah. would have these problems. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, in transitioning from talking about the house I grew up in to what's happening where we're currently living, and you know, we're still in the, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I'm just about 45 minutes south of where I grew up. The house I grew up in, we always had, a, you know, a dog, two, I think at one point in time, three dogs. And my mom started bringing in cats when I was around 12. And so we had way too many cats. We had a lot of cats <laughs> by, the, by the time I was about halfway through high school. Um, I think it was somewhere around 30 cats. Oh, wow. Yeah, a crazy cat lady. And uh, truly, I mean, I'm not saying that to be funny. I mean, she really was. I mean, she was almost a stereotype. So anyway... With the house I grew up in, in Farmer's Branch, all of us noticed that the cats and dogs would stare at things that we couldn't see, whether it was just a dead fixed stare and they didn't move their eyes, they didn't move their head, or if it was watching something, tracking something as it moved across the room, usually, you know, closer to the ceiling level in, in whatever room this was happening in. When things were happening here a few weeks ago, which, you know, we haven't had any problems in this house since we moved in in end of 2016. There are odd things here and there. You know, for instance, my wife, my daughter, and I have all noticed the smell of smoke. You just, you know, the smell of, you know, really cheap cigarettes, actually. Mm-hmm. I, I'm assuming you, you know what I'm talking about. You know, yeah. everybody gets a really bargain basement brand and they have that kind of, it just stinks. 
And we've all noticed that. And I always have thrown it off to the fact that the, at least one of the people who lived here before us was a heavy smoker because we have some glass light cover from the ceiling fan in this room. And they're, they're just painted. You can see that it's smoke. It's from cigarette smoke that they've been, they've been discolored because the people who had been here before had been here since 1979. And so I just assumed it had gotten into the duct system in the house and, you know, perhaps in, even into the seat rack because I've encountered that sort of thing before where, you know, enough heavy smoking is done for long enough and it, it really seems to just kind of seep into the walls. Oh, yeah. So I assume that that's, that's what it was. And it may be. I'm not going to say it's not. I just thought it was interesting that we've all noticed this from time to time. And... You know, now that I think about it, I don't think anyone has smelled it at the same time because my wife just mentioned to me the other night we were in our bedroom getting ready for bed. It's funny how when you talk about these things out loud, you, you, you can get some clarity on it because when she mentioned it to me, I didn't smell it, which that sort of registered. I don't know why it didn't. And I don't think it's ever been the case where somebody says, you know, I smell that, that smoke smell again. Yeah. And in no way, you know, it's not that it's happening where one of us is, where it's happening to us as we're telling it to the other person or persons, but it's happened more than once where somebody will say, I smell that smoke smell. And it's happened enough times and no one's ever said, yeah, I smell it too. So that's an odd detail. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so we've had some, some odd things here and there since we moved into this house, but nothing, well, that's not entirely true because my de- my daughter did tell me as everything was happening a few weeks ago that over the last few years there were two different times where she saw something looking at her from the top of the door and they, you know the door was open and it was looking at her from the other side of the open door you know so it was behind the door and you know now admittedly my daughter's just now also you know she was 15 last November and so there were times in the past where she would say things and. You know, this was happening at a time when I'm noticing that she's watching a lot of spooky stuff on YouTube or on TV. And so it's gotten her fired up. And so now her imagination has been activated and, you know, she's interpreting things in a way that is other than what somebody else would subjectively say was happening if they were there with her. Mm-hmm. But those two instances are a little different because she's vehement. I mean, she's adamant. It's like, no. And I even grilled her on it when she was telling me a few weeks ago. And she was, she was very firm. No, this was different. I saw these, these, I saw this thing twice. It was looking at me from over the top of the door. It was there. I'm sure it was there. Okay, fair enough. So, you know, we'll, we'll take that out of the category of things that you imagined to happen because you were amped up on stuff you'd seen that had spooked you. Right. You know, so there, there are some things here and there that kind of make you wonder in particular, in particular, those things that my daughter relayed to my wife and I, but when things started to take off, what happened was the first noticeable event was I woke up one morning, I guess this was about eight weeks ago and we keep our room. My wife and I keep our room completely dark at night when we sleep and the door closed and the closet light in our bedroom was on and I mean, that that immediately was odd because if that had been on when we went to sleep, I would have noticed it because it lights the room up enough that you turn off the lights and you start to go to sleep and it's, oh, left the closet light on. And, you know, you'd see it. It's unmistakable. You know, it illuminates the room, even though it's faint, 
it's enough illumination that you can see if you needed to see to avoid stepping on something, hitting something, running into something, whatever. Sure. And so I woke up around 4.45 with the closet light on. And for reasons I just described, I knew something was off. Like, what in the heck is going on here? My first thought was somebody was in the house. And then I thought, no, because, you know, we have five dogs in a room with us when we sleep at night, a couple on the floor, three on the floor and two on the bed. And two of those dogs were wound tight as drums. They're not, there is a slightest sound and, and they're going to be barking their heads off. And uh, one of them, you have to, if you're going to the closet, you're going to have to walk right past them. You see, he's kind of a big guy and he takes up most of the floor there. You're not getting past him. So that very quickly processed. And at that point, I, I didn't know what to think or what to do. I just kind of was frozen in bed. I thought for a moment, well, I'll get up and turn it off. Well, actually, my first thought was, I'll get up and open up the closet door. I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm not doing that. The next thought was, I'll turn off the closet light. And I thought, no, that's potentially an equally bad idea. So I just laid in bed. I didn't know what to do. And I laid there for, it was about an hour. And um, I couldn't go back to sleep, but I lay there reading. And I just consumed that. And so about an hour later, when I say reading, the light's off, I've got a Kindle. <laughs> so, which also kind of helps, I think, push some of that light from the closet into the background, into the background because of the light that's right in front of your face. So anyway, an hour later, um, you know, I, I noticed, I like, hey, it's been a while. I checked the time. It's almost an hour. Okay. And I look around and the light's off. Oh. Now, <laughs> I've been awake the whole time and my wife never got up. Never. I mean, if she'd gotten up, I would have done mistakeable. Mm-hmm. And I didn't doze off. I mean, cause this is going to sound like sort of a silly detail, but if I doze off, I've got that Kindle in my hand, it falls. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I do the same. I'm, uh, yeah. I did that move last night, night, as a matter of fact. Yeah, you know, and it happens yeah. to me all the time. You know, and depending on which way I'm facing, it either falls on the bed and I wake up and, and I know, oh, okay, I fell asleep. Or if I'm facing the other way, it drops to the floor, makes a loud noise, and... If I'm lucky, the dogs don't all go berserk, <laughs> and um, you know, you, you know what happens is I pick it up and either resume reading or turn it off. But at any rate, I knew I had not fallen asleep. I knew my wife had not gotten out of bed to turn it off, and if she had, she pretty decent chance she would have said, "Hey, did you notice how the light was on?" Um. So anyway, I didn't. It was a very weird event. It was a bit unnerving, and um, for several nights after that. I didn't sleep so well. I was kind of on the, you know, I'd, I'd wake up a lot, you know, I'd start to fall asleep and thinking, you know, what if whatever was responsible for the closet light being on decides to do something else, mm-hmm. you know, God forbid. It's, it's like a story my older sister told me from a few years ago when she decided to fool around with an Ouija board. And um, after her friend had gone home, she was lying on the couch by, you know, she was by herself. And she'd fallen asleep and felt something grab both of her ankles and pull her off to the couch with enough force that she flew about three, three or four feet. So that's the kind of thing I'm thinking of. I'm thinking, you know, I'm, if closet light's on, what next? You know, something's going to come up and touch me or grab my feet or what have you. So all that to say is having a hard time sleeping. And I'm trying to tune it out, you know, push it to the back of my mind. And about the time that I finally... You know, how the mind makes its peace with things. And I'm more or less forgetting it and able to kind of put it aside, move on. All of this stuff starts off with, with our daughter. 
with he starts seeing the thing again above the door and he hears voices not calling her name she just hears voices although she, there were no there were a couple of occasions where something did call her by name but most of it was just hearing talking and what was the other thing something pushed her door open something pushed one of the drawers from her dresser drawers in her bedroom out until it I mean, all the way out. It landed on the floor. Mm. Um, I remember what else. And then there was one morning a few weeks ago when she was getting ready for school. And my wife and I get up, you know, a little after she gets up to start getting ready for school. And um, she's, she's telling my wife and I about this, about I forget what, which particular event, but, you know, that more things have happened while she was awake by herself for that first hour that morning. And I leave to go take care of, I've got something else I've got to do in another part of the house. And I'm over in the other part of the house doing that. And the next thing I know, I hear my wife calling out my name loudly in a very fearful tone of voice. I mean, she's unmistakably freaked out. I had no idea what. All I know is my wife is incredibly upset. I can hear it. And so I come running in and she tells me that she's in the bathroom and actually using the bathroom, you know, using the, the toilet. And the small bathroom, the shower curtain is right there next to her on her right-hand side. I mean, you, you, yeah, if you're on beside you and you move your elbow out a few, minutes, a few inches, you're hitting it. So you hear something scratching at the shower curtain or the liner, you know, so there, it's if it's on the in, inside the shower. And so you hear something calling her name and scratching at the, at the tower curtain liner. Wow. And yeah. And so when she told me that, you know, all the hair on, you know, all, all the hair on my arm, the back of my neck went up because my wife is, I mean, we, <laughs> we used to play pranks on each other when we were younger, when, when we were, when we were first living together before we had our daughter or anything. But, you know, we, we haven't played a prank on each other and, you know, decades now mm -hmm. and if she's got if she's going to play a prank about something it's certainly not going to be that especially in light of the fact that we've already got a few days of my daughter saying there's something going on so we're not going to do anything to to you know exacerbate that situation so all that to say i i knew that she was she was clearly genuinely upset something had happened this was not a joke and um you talk about reacting badly. Well, this makes my reaction to the voice the house I grew up in pretty mild because I just proceeded to start walking around the house bellowing at the top of my lungs that you need to get the heck out of here. You're not welcome. You're not wanted. We don't want any of this. You need to go. Mm -hmm. um, my wife had gotten concerned about some of this stuff um, when a, a few little odd things had happened a few years ago. She had bought um, some you know, sage stick or smudge stick on the suggestion of, I forget, you know, somebody who knows about these things. And they said, yeah, I get some sage and burn it and go around the house burning it. So I've, I've, I've got that thing lit. I'm going around the house, you know, smudging, smoking through all the rooms and, you know, carrying on like this at the top of my voice. <laughs> and it was, it was effective to a certain extent. Things immediately slowed down. They didn't stop but they slowed down probably like 80 or 90%. Neither my wife nor I had anything else happen to us. 
but uh, my daughter was still seeing things and, and hearing things. And so this went on for several weeks and eventually it finally tapered down. And then an acquaintance of mine, he used to, and still does occasionally, does ghost investigations. He was a part of some ghost hunting group here in, in North Texas. And um, he found, first of all, he's one of those people that's kind of sensitive and seems to have ways of dealing with this that most people don't. Um, but one thing is, is he has this crystal skull that he says he's taken into a few uh, investigations they've done where activity is particularly intense and, and, and on the scary side. And he said, for right. And further reasons, but he didn't really explain them to me, not with any great detail. But he said, taking this crystal skull into any of those situations, it just sets it off. <laughs> I mean, just it sets it off. It's hard. It's like, go from whatever level of activity to zero. It's just, it's done. So he came over and walked around the house with the skull and uh, seems to have worked. I mean, wow. I don't know. I mean, things were already tapering down to begin with, so hey. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. If it works, yeah. it works. Exactly. If it works, it works. And, and, you know, even if it was a mixture of a variety of things that work or if it was all that, you know, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not going to say one way or the other, cause I don't know how these things work. Right. That, that's, that's beyond my understanding. But if my daughter's at peace and not feeling tormented by something that she doesn't understand or, or can't explain, then that's fine. You yeah. know, I, by any means necessary, it's fine with me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we don't know why these things start. We can't necessarily say why they end, but I just say, go with it. You know, if it works, go with it. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, it's also for me, it's a lack of profound lack of understanding because, you know, you've got all these little individual groups. You've got ghost hunters, you've got UFO, UFO hunters, you've got people interested in Bigfoot. And they all have blinders on. They just see their thing. But I, I should have probably said right at the beginning of this conversation that I've been interested in this since I was somewhere in grade school. I think I was in second grade when I found a book in the school library about UFOs. And I, I, I'm not sure why I checked that book out. I'm not sure. I, I think I was always drawn to things that were a little odd anyway. Because, mm-hmm. you know, when I, I, was, I was reading at a very young age and um, – it would go with my mom to the adult section of the, of the public library. And I would always find things like pyramid power, stuff like that. And I just always interested in, you know, it held an interest for me just because, you know, it's different. Mm-hmm. It's, it's unusual. It's not the, it's not the typical stuff. And, uh, I checked out that book from the library and that, that sparked an interest. And then when I was in ninth grade, a friend of mine, Said you need to read this book and handed me a copy of the Mothman Prophecies. Oh wow! And yeah, <laughs> and I, you know, I was really grateful he did because that that led to I'd already crossed I'd already come across Jacques Vallee and that was really helpful too. Mm-hmm. But John Keel was the first one I'd ever read who said anything about the fact that this phenomenon it's all interrelated. You mm-hmm. don't have these little isolated groups of things that are happening. You know, whether it's UFOs, hairy monsters poltergeist, mysterious fires, whatever, it's all part of the same big phenomena. It, yeah. it, it doesn't have categories or, or subsets within it. It's all just one big whatever it is. Um, so, you know, what I'm trying to get at by saying that is that 
you know, and I'm sure you'd agree with this. Anyone who says they understand it's either lying or it's out of their mind. Right. Yeah. Um, they, they fooled themselves or they're lying. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, and so that's, for me, that's, that's the, the thing that I always try to keep in mind is that I don't know what this is. You know, my daughter was saying something about it being spirits. I'm like, yeah, maybe, but what's a spirit then? Is it a yeah. dead person? Is, yeah. is it an intelligence with, that occupies a different bandwidth of reality? What? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, so many people talk about ghosts and it's the same kind of questions. Like, what are you talking about? Cause they can't always be the spirits of dead people. And I've come over time, I've come to think like, probably that's a rarity, actually. I think more often we're dealing with something else. What it is, I don't know, but you know, I just think it's a rarity to encounter an actual spirit of a dead human. You know, that's a, I'm glad you said that. That's that's a really good detail to keep in mind because that that, that thought had never occurred to me before. Um, I mean, again, I don't know what it is, but it right. never occurred to me before to think that, you know, it's not necessarily the spirit of, of people who've died. Yeah, I mean, and I think often these whatever these other things are, they're they're happy to let us think that, you know. <laughs> but and again, who can I can't prove this stuff, you know. But no right. one, no ghost hunters can either. Right. Yeah, I mean, and no one can. And that was another thing I liked about John Keel was the fact that he didn't come down firmly and say that this phenomena is this. Mm-hmm. In fact, what he seemed to express, it's been a while since I've read anything by him, but if I remember correctly, you know, what he what he eventually wound up expressing was that he really didn't know either. The only thing he made a couple of statements, you know, one was that it was, you know, all seemed to be one big phenomena, and two, now this is his own take on it, I wouldn't even go this far. I don't know. I would be very agnostic about it, but, you know, he felt like it didn't really have our best interest in mind, and yeah. he would be right. Actually, later in life, Keel was very much, I remember seeing an interview with him and, you know, somebody was talking about pursuing this stuff and he was very much like, why would you want to? Like, and his feeling was that it had done him no good, basically. Right. Yeah. And in fact, you know, anyone who's read Mothman Prophecies and a few of his other books knows that, you know, it it really kind of put him through the ringer at at a few different points in time in his life. You know, whether it was just making him the butt butt of a of a really big joke, you know, you probably remember that that um, sequence of events in uh, Mothman Prophecies where he wound up driving around with all of that water in the back of his car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> some of the things that were a little more, I don't know. I mean, if I'd been him, some of the things he described having happened to him, that would have, I, I would have been done. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, was he brave, crazy, a mixture of both? I don't know, but. He had things happen to him that that would have stopped me. I'm checking out on this. I'm done. I'm walking away from it, and I hope that it leaves me alone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, that, that's even with even with the. I, I'm not sure if it's the right word, but with the limited uh, number of things that I've experienced in my life, that was the point I came to. Was um, <laughs> I have to laugh because there's a comic quality to it. There was something that happened back, I guess it was January or February. Um, I was driving home one morning and I had dropped my daughter off at school. And I had been, I don't know why I was thinking about this, but I was thinking about the fact that it seemed like it had been years since anything genuinely weird and unsettling had happened. And 
as I get back to my street to turn left on my street, and so my, my street keys into this other street, and as I'm coming up to my street to make my left, I'm slowing down, and it's, it's raining. It's not a heavy rain, but it's rain enough that you'd want an umbrella. And I see this kid who, he's got to be in grade school age, and we have an elementary school just a few blocks away. So I just automatically assume that this is a, a young kid making his way to school. It didn't occur to me at the time that elementary school starts later than my daughter's school. Um, my daughter pointed that out later when I, told, when I told her about this. But anyway, it's a chilly day. I mean, it doesn't get terribly cold here, but it was, I mean, not regularly anyway. It was chilly enough that somebody would want to have on a light jacket and some jeans. And this kid, not only did he not have an umbrella, but he was wearing shorts. And I thought, and my mind didn't go to anything unusual. I just thought, why didn't his parents send him out with an umbrella and with warmer clothes? And I'm wanting to get a closer look at the kid. Why? I don't know. I made curiosity. I don't recall what my thought process was. So I, I turn, as I'm turning left onto my street, I should be seeing him in either my side rear, you know, my rear view mirrors or the, the actual rear view mirror in the, you know, up front attached to the, uh, the windshield. And so I turn, I turn and where he is on the street relative to mine, I mean, he's basically even with my street. Um, so I should see him. I should turn, I should turn onto my street and be able to look in one of those mirrors and see him. And he's nowhere. And oh, what the heck? And so before I even get, 20 yards or so down my street, I turn in the first driveway and go back around and he's gone. Hmm. So I drive up the street thinking, okay, he ran off. Why he would, I don't know, but he ran off. And after I've gotten a little ways down the street further than he could have run, even if he was running for all he had, um, I, I was past the point he would have gotten to at that point in time. And I thought, okay, this really is weird. I mean, he should be around here somewhere. Even if he ran with all his might, he would not be able to have gotten far enough that he could disappear into any shrubs, another street, anything like that. There's nothing around here for him to, to, to hide in. Um, and at that point in time, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. You know, but mm. he doesn't have an umbrella. He's in shorts. It's about 40 degrees outside. Um, and like I said, it didn't occur to me until, or it wasn't brought to my attention until I told my daughter a, a day or two later about the whole thing that elementary school starts almost an hour later. So, yeah. you know, he wasn't walking to the elementary school. Yeah. And so the hairs on the back of my neck went up and proceeded to walk in, you know, went back to the house and went inside and told my wife about it. And I said, you know, I really thought this kind of crap was behind us. Of course, not knowing what was in store a few months later with everything that's gone, you know, had, had gone crazy with uh, regards to recent events around here. Yeah, yeah. Now, you in your email, you mentioned having something pace you out of the woods one time oh yeah yeah and that's for me that's you know in light of everything i've just told you it may seem sort of surprising but that's actually one of three events that are the most either unnerving or just for me kind of hard to believe there are the two others i fortunately had witnesses to so i could you know anytime i have doubts about it i can verify it or in the case of one it's not a witness but went home after one of these events and told my wife that, you know, here's what happened. This is unbelievable. And so every now and then it'll come to mind and I'll think about it and wonder if it's real. And I'll ask her and like, I told you that, right? Yeah. And you told me about it happened, but this one I didn't have any witnesses to. 
I was staying with a friend of mine. This was the summer of 86, and I went out to stay with a friend of mine who had moved to Santa Cruz, California. And I'd gotten to know some other people in the time I was there. I stayed pretty much that whole summer out there. And he had something else to do that day because I spent a greater portion of that summer with, with this friend of mine. Um, but because she was engaged elsewhere in a family event or something, I wound up spending the afternoon with someone I'd met there. And he knew people who had set up this kind of campsite way up in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And when I say way up, I mean, it was, I think we walked about an hour to get there. And it was very removed from town. And so it was getting later in the day. He was staying. He was going to stay overnight. They had sleeping bags. They had hammocks. Um, they had, you know, all kinds of, you know, they, they were set. I mean, mm-hmm. they could stay up there for days on end. You know, all, all it required was somebody to go and get food because there was even a, um, a natural spring right there by the area that they'd set up. So they had plenty of water, too. So he was staying. Um, I was not going to stay. I wanted to head back into town, and I wanted to do so fairly soon because it was probably about, I'm going to guess, around somewhere in the neighborhood of six. The sun was not down, but it was heading that way, and I didn't want to be walking um, most of the path out of there. Once you got off of the trail that led deeper into the woods, it was a a matter of following a set of railroad tracks all the way back into town. But even with railroad tracks to follow, I just, you know, nobody, nobody has a general rule going to want to be trying to walk home in the woods yeah. after dark. Yeah. yeah. You, know, you know, whether, whether because it's unnerving or it's just common sense, that's something that most people would avoid. So that's what I was doing. And um, I had made my way to the railroad tracks and was walking along and and the significance of the railroad tracks is that at that point i was walking fairly quietly occasionally would step on gravel but i wasn't crunching branches and leaves and pine needles and that kind of thing and so at one point i stopped and it sounded like my footstep echoed why would my footstep echo okay you know kind of a little bit of red flag starting to go off you know and keep in mind, I'm not coming to any conclusions. It's just, it struck me as kind of weird. And probably the first thing on my mind was that I was being followed by either somebody from the camp and they were messing with me or my friend who I was there visiting had mentioned that it was not uncommon for um, uh, occult activity to go on in some parts of the Santa Cruz Mountains. So I thought perhaps, if, if I was thinking anything, at this late date, it's hard to say, but the last thing on my mind was anything too out of the ordinary. You know, really, I'm, what I'm concerned with is, you know, another human being that might have some ill intent. Right. So I start walking again, and then I very intentionally stop. Didn't hear anything. I do this a couple of times, and finally I caught it again. And I stop, and I hear a footstep behind me. It's like, okay, <laughs> not my imagination. What's going on here? And so at that, around that time that... Um, the sun is going down on my right and there is um, kind of an incline in that same direction. Not very high. It goes up about maybe, I don't know, 10 or 12 feet. And it's right there. I mean, we're not talking about something that's a distance from me. It's not yards away. It's right there. I mean, all I have to do is step off the railroad track and, and start walking up the incline. So I turn and I look and 
I remember at the time a sense of this, whoever this is, they don't want me to see them because they've got the sun to their back. You know, and there's, there's something, I didn't think about this for a long time until my daughter started they, you know, that report I mentioned that she wrote about Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. At the time, there was a weird element to it of sensing, not sensing someone else's thoughts, because that's not it. But it was like I could pick up on a vibe. I could kind of pick up on some intention or I really don't know what the best word is for it, but I could just kind of, it was almost as if I could kind of get a sense of what they might be trying to do. Hmm. Let me explain it by saying this. When I turned to look and I couldn't, I couldn't see them because of the light behind them and also the fact that they were kind of behind some brush or scrub or or something, you know, they were partly obscured by that. And then having the sun behind them, you know, when the sun is behind somebody and you're looking at them because of the sun, you can't really make out what you're looking at. Right. And it was kind of, a, it was kind of this sense of they could have walked on the other side, but they didn't. They walked on this side because they knew what they were doing was the sense I had. walking. I knew someone was there now. I didn't need to stop and, and test to see if I was going to hear more footfalls after mine had stopped. Now it was just a question of, I don't know who this is, what they're doing, why they're doing it. I've got a ways to go before I'm back in town, and this is kind of scaring me. And so I would stop occasionally to see if I could get a good look at them. I never could get a good look at them. And I had lived, when I was 13 and 14, I'd lived out in East Texas in the deep woods. And a lot of time out in the woods there. Um, and I know what human beings sound like when they're walking. And what I mean by that is that even the best, even the best of any of the people I've ever met who were good at being quiet in the woods were never this quiet. They always, there's always something crunching underfoot. And this thing, this or I say thing, whatever. I mean, now I have, I have some more concrete opinions. At the time, I didn't whatever, whoever I was dealing with was unnaturally quiet. Mm-hmm. And um, that was pretty unnerving too. <laughs> and so I'm just, I didn't run for whatever reason. I don't know why at that point in time, I'd never heard anyone say you don't run from a predator. It, it sets them off. You know, is it, is it a bear? I don't know, but you know, I didn't run for whatever reason. With, I found out later that may have been to my, uh, that may have, that may have, kept things from getting any worse yeah, or yeah. from going quickly. Um, so I just keep walking at a normal pace and I'm dealing with this for about 15 or 20 minutes. It may have been longer than hard to say. And I finally get to the very edge. I mean, the outermost edge of town. And at that point there was a house, somebody who lived, I mean, they were, they were removed from the actual city of Santa Cruz, but they were there on the edge of town, you know, from their house, you could access, you know, a street and get into town and that kind of thing. But their house was right where the wood line ended, at least at that, in that particular spot. You know, they've got their house. I remember they had a, a pretty sizable vegetable garden and, you know, the yard was 
you know, they had grass growing, it was maintained. And so the, the woods had a very hard line of demarcation where the woods ended. Mm-hmm. But when I got to that, I stopped, turned around and looked, and I couldn't really get a sense of it before because I was looking up at an angle. But now, since we were both on, on, the, on even ground, the one thing that was noticeable was what happened was when I turned to look, I saw a hand kind of, it was some sort of conifer that it was kind of hiding in, you know, it was sort of in the, amongst the, the branches of this conifer mm-hmm. and reached out and pushed down. Now, I don't recall if this was at eye level or what, but I don't think it could have been because I, as I recall, it was closer to the ground. So the way I recall it is that the hand pushed the branch down and I was looking to see eyes. I was expecting to see eyes like somebody was pushing the branches out of the way so they could get a clear view. But that wasn't the case because I didn't see a face there. When I looked more carefully, and, and keep in mind, again, the sun is continuing to go down. So it's, there's still some light, but it's, it's not as light as it had been. Plus, there are lots of trees. It's, it's stated. And, of course, they're you know, in amongst the trees. So they're definitely not well lit. But I couldn't see a face. And when I saw that hand push the branch down, it would have been awfully low for a face to be at. And the two things that stood out, one was the hand was really big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so if it was a hand is that big, there's no way a hand that big. Well, I should say no way, but it's pretty unlikely that a hand that big is going to be attached to something that has eyes that or a face that close to the ground. Yeah. So I'm looking trying to see, okay, so where is the head and the face on this thing? And it's up there. You know, it, its hand is down at probably about somewhere in the neighborhood of its waist or stomach. And I couldn't get a clear look at it, but I could see that there was something tall there. I'm going to guess it again, you know, memory being so reliable and it's being, having been so many years ago, but that it was such an odd detail, mm-hmm. you know, it does kind of does kind of stay in memory because at that point it was pretty clear that this thing had to be, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put a number to it. It's, I don't feel comfortable saying that because of the fact that it's so long ago, but I can say that it was well over six feet. Mm-hmm. That's the safest thing I can say with any accuracy is it was well over six feet. Yeah. The hand was big. <laughs> the hand was big. And I couldn't tell if there was any hair or anything of that sort. And I wasn't at the time, I wasn't looking for it. I was just trying to get a look right. of any kind who or what was following me. Is it a person? Is it a bear or what? Of course, you know, truth is, I knew it wasn't a bear. I lived out in the woods of East Texas and had done a lot of hiking and camping around the rest of the state, Texas, that is, and had encountered brown and black bears many times. And I knew it wasn't a brown or a black bear. Yeah. So. Anyway, the whole thing was unnerving, unsettling as heck. And I, the funny thing is, I never, I never drew any conclusions, which, you know, at that time I was in high school, being, being of that age, you know, you're inclined to draw conclusions. You're, enti- you're inclined to say something was this or that, or, right. and to have that kind of certainty that mm-hmm. as you get older, that you find that kind of certainty is, is not, not really, tends to not be as that tenable. So I never really drew any conclusions. And I think it may have crossed my mind from time to time over the years, but it didn't really come back in in full force until my daughter wrote the report for school that I mentioned. And that that just set off a whole string of circumstances or or events 
you know, one of which was I stumbled into the, the two books that you and Joshua wrote together where the footbridge sound. Mm. I started listening to podcasts and, you know, and then I'm hearing other people having the same experience as me. And like, so that was a Bigfoot. I mean, I don't know. Right. Just, yeah. Based yeah. on all of the other accounts I've heard from other people, that's the best explanation I have for it. Because, you know, again, that hand was big and whatever it was, was tall. And I don't hear people talking about bears pacing them out of the woods. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's an, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it couldn't have been a large human, but if you think about human behavior, it's right. So first of all, yeah. is a human, like you said, wood wise enough to, to walk that quietly is a human aware of, its position or his or her position uh, relative to the sun to make sure, you know, to put the sun behind them. Some people maybe, but most people unlikely. Uh, and then right. to hide in the trees, but to do that little move with the hand to push it down, like letting you know, like even giving it away, like here I am, you know, you'd think a human right. would, would just hide and, and stay hidden, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just odd behavior if it was a person. Well, and, you know, now that you mentioned that, that raises another point is that if a human was going to do that and they were going to pull the little, the little stunt of, of letting their, you know, letting their hand be clearly seen and lowering the branches, you know, usually when people play pranks on me, uh, and especially when it's been out in the woods, whether it was when I lived out in East Texas or whether it was the, you know, the guys I grew up with playing in the woods not far from our house. I say wood, such as it is in, you know, suburban <laughs> Dallas, but, you know, usually they make noise or do something to kind of try to mess right. with you. Yeah. And they, in fact, I would go so far as to say that anytime I've ever encountered something like that with another human being, they're, they're usually fairly far from quiet. And this thing was, with the exception of the, the occasional footfall I caught, was dead silent. And now I've heard rumors of, of people, especially like First Nations people, being able to walk that quietly in the woods. And that very well may be true, and I, I don't doubt it. I've just yeah. never had any personal experience with it. But, um, you know, what are the odds that I've got, you know, a tribal person out there following me in the woods? <laughs> yeah, and just that little move at the end, it's, it's again, I'm not saying it's Bigfoot, but it's so Bigfooty that, like, they seem to, like... Just like that little, like, hey, yeah, look, look I'm here. You're not going to get a good look at me, but, you know, I'm just letting you know I'm here. It's just the kind of yeah. weird weird thing that they do. But, you know, again, we don't know. But it's certainly creepy. Yeah. When you said paste in the woods, usually people don't get a look at anything. They don't get to see anything. And, in fact, I don't know. Now I'm going to go ahead and say if you saw something that's probably more disturbing. But it's very disturbing. I'm thinking of one time in particular – I was in a local park and I was hiking there and it got dark while I was there. And I was actually checking out tree structure that we had found previously. And I was walking back from it. Something was just pacing me in the woods, but it was, I should have been able to see it. It wasn't so dark that I couldn't see it. And these woods weren't so brushy or anything where I, I shouldn't have been able to see it. It was close enough. I should have been able to see whatever was walking next to me and I couldn't. And it was so weird. I'm just like, what is going on here? Like, I should be able to see this. It's whatever's here is making enough noise that I can hear it and hear it clearly. And it walks when I walk and I stop and I hear a shuffle when I stop and I look over and just nothing's there. So I don't know. 
But that's the way I thought your story was going to go because I've heard that from other people. But no, you actually saw something, which is either way, it's not not uncreepy. Yeah, absolutely not. In fact, yeah. uh, you know, I was I was unnerved as heck. I, mm-hmm. I was, I, you know, I I really was. And the fact that I didn't run, it was almost like something was looking out for me, or, mm-hmm. or somehow, you know, seeing to it that I was kept in check. Because that would be pretty much anyone's first instinct is is to just run for it. Um, there probably was the, the fact that the railroad tracks were there probably played a role in that because I'd been in situations before running and trying to run on railroad tracks, and you know how it is with those yes. planks of wood yeah. being spaced. You don't run on those very well. Yeah, trip hazard after trip hazard, yeah. Exactly. And, and, you know, in between, there's lots of gravel. It's just not ideal for running. Uh, So I'm going to, again, I can't say for sure because it's been so long, but I'm going to wager that that probably was playing a role in it. But the other thing I wanted to mention about it was, and you talk about things that are Bigfooty, was, you know, I, there wasn't any mind speak. I've heard people talk about that or, you know, telepathic communication. There was none of that. I didn't hear any voices. I didn't, didn't get any kind of words in the mind. But what I did get was the first thing that tipped me off um, before the first footfall, actually, was the cracking or the snapping of a branch. Not a, not a large limb, but, you mm-hmm. know, something that's, you know, probably, you know, half in maybe an instant diameter, not terribly large, but large enough to make a loud snap without it sounding like, you know, you hear people talk about, you know, something, you know, say the, the diameter of the, you know, average human arm being broken and it's sounding like a shotgun going off. Yeah. Nothing like that. It was just a typical size branch being snapped. And I don't know if it was snapped by hand or if it was snapped underfoot, but when it happened, I remember there was this distinct impression because that's when I, that was when I first stopped. That was the first pause. That was the first thing that made me stop walking. And the sense was, I was intended to hear that. Mm-hmm. And, and then it was, it was a very strong, very distinct impression of that was intended for me to hear, which, you know, that helped kind of color the overall experience. Yeah. You know, it's fact that, oh, okay, so something wants me to know it's here now. And I remember getting that impression, and then immediately after that impression was the thought, well, then how long has this thing been trailing me? Mm-hmm. You know, almost almost as if it's been really quiet, and I was not noticing it, and like, hey, yeah, I'm here, hello. Right. You know, um, which, you know, if you're walking silently, you would think that you're not wanting someone to, to know you're there. Mm-hmm. And, and, and actually that's, that's me kind of taking a stab at guesses. I don't know about that. The only thing I can say for sure is that I remember getting a very strong, very distinct impression at the snap of that branch that it was letting me know it was announcing its presence. So, and then from there it was, you know, the footfalls. Oh, hold on a minute. You know what? God, memory. That actually was not the first thing that happened. I was hearing the footfalls and kind of dismissing them. And then after a few footfalls and dismissing it, even though it did strike me as kind of odd, then there was a snapping of the branch. Yeah. You know, I, I can only speculate, but I'm, I guess at that point it's, you know, I'm hearing footfalls, but dismissing it, I'm blowing it off 
And so like, let's snap the branch and just make sure that there's no doubt for this guy that, <laughs> mm. that we're here. That was an experience that I would not care to relive. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially alone. You feel alone when these things happen like that. It's like, yeah, Oh yeah, I'm by myself. Yeah, you're right. And there was, that was a very distinct sense. I'm by myself and I'm still a ways from town. You know, I mean, running would have been a bad idea because I mean, even if I could have run and kept some distance, I wouldn't have been able to keep running and maintain that distance right. for as long as it taken yeah. me to get even just to the edge of the woods. Yeah. Nah, I would have been out of breath before I'd gotten to that point. Mm-hmm. Daryl, okay. thank you so much for sharing your stories. Yeah, well, it was my pleasure. And, and thanks for the opportunity to, you know, kind of make a record of this. Oh, sure. And for our patrons, you're going to share a couple more stories with us. So if you're a patron, you'll get to hear two more stories from Daryl. All right, Daryl's going to be on our next patron show, which should come out right after this episode, either the same day or maybe tomorrow. He's got an abandoned house story that's very much like the Screaming Black Swarm episode a few episodes back and a weird encounter with a UFO-like helicopter. Also on that patron show will be Brandon from the Southern Gothic podcast. He was just on last week. He's got some extra stories about Ghost Brides, The Curse of Lake Lanier, the top five haunted places in the South. Remember, you can get that by becoming a patron at Patreon, patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. This is a very cool label, Allison. Are you familiar with Dale and Company? Yes, I actually am. I can tell you where it was. <laughs> I was going to say. It's, it's I, um, it, does it say Market Street? Because I'm pretty sure. It was. 19 South George. 19 South George. Okay, there was a, hmm. No, I'm not then. No, oh, okay. I was thinking, there was another um, drug company that is close to the market. It's just a regular house now, but it's not. Wow, it says open all night. Do you think they really were open all night? Like 24 hours? It just says open all night with an owl sitting on a moon, which is a very cool. I'm I'm guessing it was then. Wow. Why was there more to do in York like 150 years ago than there was now? (laughs) Right. So this is a label for a bottle of 95% alcohol. I'm assuming rubbing alcohol and not drinking alcohol. That is, that's a personal choice. <laughs> <laughs> and it's got these cool clouds and an owl sitting on a moon. This is a very cool Yeah, the label. graphics really couldn't be. It checks a lot of boxes. Yeah, it's really neat. This will be our curiosity of the week. When do you think that's from? Just guessing. Um, if I have time, I'll check and see when they were in business. I'll put an image of this label in the show notes at strangefamiliars.com. If you click on that, it'll take you to our Etsy shop where you can purchase this and other curiosities of the week, those that are left. Also at Etsy, artwork. Got originals and prints there, including the original art for this episode. You can purchase that there. Copies of my books, including my art books. Apparitions, illustrations of the other. Monsters under the hospital bed, which is getting low in stock, so you probably want to pick that up sometime soon. And of course... My new art book, Elzik's Farewell, which has a couple comics and a lot of artwork I did for Strange Familiars in there. All of my regular books are back in stock and up at Etsy as well. If you purchase them on Etsy, they do come signed. You can get Strange Familiars t-shirts there, 
stickers, patches, and more. Our shop name is Lost Grave, but if you type in Strange Familiars at Etsy, you should see our stuff come up. Just a note on the books. Prices for us on the manufacturing end have gone up. Prices for everything have gone up, I guess. Seems to be the way way it is. At some point soon, we are going to have to raise prices on books. So now would be a good time to get books if you want them. We'll keep the prices where they are for the next few weeks at least. I'll keep telling everybody, reminding everybody, hey, if you want to get books at the current prices, now's the time to get them. They're not going to go up too much. I think maybe a couple of dollars a piece. I'll have to see how much they're charging us on that end. But they did give us a warning that their prices are going up. There's a flower pass section on Etsy as well. Flower pass t-shirts. I think we only have smalls and mediums now, but I'm getting restocks in that. I think the t-shirt design is more popular than the podcast. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine. Maybe with that. you should just do t-shirt designs for imaginary podcasts. Uh, maybe, maybe I could do that. Can I suggest some that I'd like to hear that don't exist? Sure. And then you could make a t-shirt sure. for me. In the flower pass section, also I've added flower pass stickers. You can get uh, stickers of the logo and my illustration of Our Lady of Fatima. I'll have restocks of the t-shirt soon, like I said. And I've started adding books of interest. Right now, there's both books that I used as sources for the Fatima episodes that appeared first on Strange Familiars, and then I used them for The Flower Path as well. So you can get both of the books, The Sun Danced at Fatima and I think The True Story of Fatima, the others called it. Anyway, they were both sources I used for those episodes. So they're up there, and I will add more things as time goes on that are relative to The Flower Path. If you haven't checked out The Flower Path, that's my podcast about saints and mystics and miracles and so forth. You can find it at theflowerpath.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's also on YouTube. If you're listening to Strange Familiars on YouTube, do us a favor and subscribe to The Flower Path as well. Just look up The Flower Path and subscribe to the channel on YouTube. That would help us out a lot. You need a certain amount of subscribers before you can start getting ads and so forth. It's a whole thing with YouTube. So uh, even if you don't... You don't even have to listen yeah, is what you're you, trying to say. Even if you don't listen, please subscribe. <laughs> All right. I think that's it for this episode of Strange Familiars. We'll be back soon with more. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts. Intro and background music is by Stone Breath. If you want to hear more or purchase music by Stone Breath, you can go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com. Strange Familiars is on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars. You can join the Strange Familiars gathering group there. We're on Instagram, at strangefamiliars, one word, and we're on the web. <laughs> the World Wide Web. Really? Mm-hmm. You got your ALL all fired up? At www.strangefamiliars.com. Through the tree